Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness, and thanks for joining us. I'm usually your host, Barnaby Howarth. This is a show designed to help people realise there is greatness in being in everyday Harry Sacker roles. Our guest today is one of the most incredible people on the face of the earth. Funny, charming, and wise. I haven't looked forward to an interview as much as I am to this one today. Our guest today is Barnaby Howarth. Oh, that's me. <laughs> I won't be interviewing myself today, although I am our guest. For that, I've, in, I've asked Kate Pascoe Squires, the editor of the Slowdown Press and the most impressive guest on episode two of Everyday Greatness. Kate is a rare gem. In a world that often feels like you have to be nasty to get ahead, Kate is just a flat-out good person. So without further ado... I would like to interview me, Kate Pascoe Squires. Kate, welcome. Thanks, Barnaby. It's very nice to be the one asking the questions today. So just who is this man on the other side of the interview today? Barnaby prides himself on being just a happy family man, as if that's a small thing. In fact, he's not just anything. So much has shaped him. Like so many Australian kids, he grew up with stars in his eyes, Unlike most, however, he reached them. After playing a season in the AFL for the Sydney Swans when he was 18, Barnaby thought he was on the path to becoming a winner. But after being diagnosed with diabetes, being bashed and suffering a stroke, then losing his first wife to breast cancer, he wasn't sure if being a winner was still possible. Winning and losing all of a sudden looked totally different when Barnaby started running a business as a part-time keynote speaker, on top of his full-time job doing autocue at the ABC. With messages like, try your hardest and be proud of yourself, and give life the best crack you can, things he wouldn't expect to hear from a winner when he was younger. But through his speaking business, Barnaby has delivered speeches all around the world, on cruise ships and young school groups, sports clubs and businesses. It has also led him to create this show, Everyday Greatness, and to host this podcast about real-life resilience. So I would like to welcome to his own show, Barnaby Howarth. Barnaby, welcome. Thank you, Kate. Good to be here. Thank you for interviewing. An absolute pleasure. Now, Barnaby, you've done a lot to be proud of. So what is the best thing that you've done? My best thing is actually equal, two things equal best First was being born into the Howarth family. I, I shake my head sometimes at the amount of guidance and wisdom my parents have who would very much say they were just, they're very modest and would say they're doing nothing. But my family has helped me, am I allowed to swear on this show? Sure can. My family has helped me not be a dickhead, I hope. And the equal, the equal proudest thing I've got is marrying my wife, Julia, and becoming Imogen's stepfather. I don't think even I realise how enjoyable the path we're on is at the moment. 
We're just about to get a puppy dog, so I think it's about to get a lot more enjoyable. Good luck with that. Thanks. <laughs> so after your stroke, your parents were told that they might have to turn off your life support. It's a pretty traumatic experience for them. Um, did you have any near-death death epiphanies? None whatsoever. If anything, the stroke just reaffirmed the way I was living my life. I, I didn't feel like I had to be the greatest on world, in world history I just took my cues in life from some advice an old footy coach used to give me. He used to say, focus on the game plan, the result will take care of itself. So I just looked at what was on my plate in front of me at the time, did as well as I could and had faith that things would work out in the end. A lot of the times it felt like it was just getting, it was useless and it wasn't working and I sometimes regretted going down that path but today I feel really proud that that's what I've done. So... That, uh, that epiphany and seeing the light and getting the lightning bolt or the voice of God didn't happen in my life. I just kept on plodding away, putting one foot in front of the other and things seemed to have worked out for me. It's a pretty amazing attitude considering what you've been through. Uh, how did the stroke happen? So I was out in North Sydney in 2005 having what was meant to be a quiet drink with a couple of mates from footy. And one of my mates didn't like the way a kid was looking at him when he walked out of a convenience store and were on the way home. So he went over and grabbed the kid, threw him on the road and started kicking him in the head. So I ran over and grabbed him and told him he's being a peanut and dragged him back to where our other two mates were. And the four of us started walking away. But about 200 metres down the road, this kid's group, which was five at the time, grew to about 20. Some of them had their shirts off, some were yelling abuse but they all looked like they just wanted to punch somebody and it wasn't too long before they got their wish. At the side of the mob, two of my mates did what we all should have done and ran, but myself and one other guy stayed behind and tried to talk the mob down. My mate was king hit from behind and then while he was lying on the ground unconscious, some guys stood around him and started kicking him in the head. So I ran over and shoved the kickers off and that's the last thing I remember. Apparently I was king hit from behind and then kicked in the head a few times while I was out as well. I woke up a couple of minutes after the fight and my life carried on 100% normally for the next seven days. I played a game of footy that weekend and went back to work the following Monday. But the whole time I was running around telling people how lucky we'd been that this mob didn't have weapons, turns out an artery in my brainstem had been torn and now resembled something like, like an old garden hose and there was a heap of dried gunk on the inside in the form of clotted blood. But because I had no idea about the tear or the clots or the danger... I went back to footy training the following Thursday and took part as normal as I would have before the fight. But somewhere during training, I got a knock that dislodged a bit of the gunk and it floated up another artery in my brain seemed to a part where it narrowed and lodged itself, interrupting the blood flow, going in out of the brain, causing the stroke. That's an unbelievable story. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And things didn't get much better after your first wife, Angela, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Did you throw your arms up in the air and say, why me? Did you feel a bit hard done by? Not at all, and I'd, I need to be very careful how I word this, but I'm so incredibly thankful for having Angela in my life. The circumstances and the cancer was horrible, and I'm certainly not at all thankful for any of that, but Angela and I shared a love that was so intense and so passionate I would never have wanted to live a life without experiencing that. Our lives together was such a fairy tale, I wouldn't have believed it was true if I hadn't lived it myself. We met in August 2013 
then both of our worlds were rocked in July 2014. She was diagnosed with advanced breast cancer. We engaged the following month. I was baptised in Angela's church, the Coptic Christian church, in September, and then we were married that November. After we were married, we went on 19 legs of our honeymoon, the last of which we got back from less than a week before she joined her father in heaven. So, it's, yeah, it was a very unfortunate and sad ending, but no, I wouldn't have replaced it for anything and I don't feel hard done by it all. It's a beautiful take on it. And since then you have remarried and now you have a stepdaughter. What does this mean to you? I'm so incredibly happy with my wife and my stepdaughter. When I was a kid, I put all my eggs into the try and be a good person and everything will work out basket. But then you get things like your first wife passing away because of breast cancer and you think, well, this has been a waste of time. I was bashed and had a stroke. Like, I'm diabetic as well, just like to add cheese on top. So there's times where you think it's just a waste of time, but Julia and Imogen being in my life make me feel like it's all been worth it. All those, all those times where you feel like just saying hello to someone and chatting to someone at the coffee shop, poking your head over the back fence to say good day to your neighbour, all those tiny things that feel like they're just a waste of time, how happy I am with Julia and Imogen right now, make it feel like all of that has been worth it. Just being a real human being, a real family man, has been good enough. So you started your career as a speaker in 2010, talking about resilience and telling your life story. But no offence, it sounds like most of the cool things about your life happened after you started your career as a speaker. What were they? (laughs) That's very true. I, I started my speaking career and I hadn't done much. I'd survived a stroke and I was diabetic played a season for the Swans and I was out there, I, was, I remember clear as day, I was telling, a, telling my story in a keynote speech to a group of year nine students and one of the kids started yawning. I thought, oh, this isn't a good sign. So anyway, so I just kept on plodding along and when things came up in front of me, I just kept on putting my hand up and saying yes to them. So I've since climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, married and nursed my first wife in her cancer journey Walked the Kokoda track with my brother, my sister-in-law and a mate from footy. I wrote my biography, sorry, I wrote my autobiography and had my biography written. I made an AFL comeback and played my 100th game at Pennant Hills and I started this show thanks to Dion Lane at, every, at uh, Look Studio Australia, Everyday Greatness. And I'm so incredibly proud and happy. You've certainly shown your own resilience there. Um, you say that you're a real human being, but you must have some ruthlessness ruthlessness in business. I'm just going to name a few things that you've achieved. Uh, you've been sponsored with a $10,000 um, grant to walk the Kokoda track. You've secured major sponsorship of over $20,000 for the first two seasons of Everyday Greatness. You've made this podcast on the smell of an oily rag. You've been named an ambassador for Medtronic, the Danny Foundation and Diabetes New South Wales. You host an annual fundraiser for the Chris Bryan Lifehouse Lifehouse at the Sydney Comedy Store and you've given speeches in San Diego, Auckland, Calgary, Dubai and on four cruises. So can you tell me, Barnaby, what is your X factor? I can and I most definitely do not have one. When I started my business 
over 10 years ago, I thought I needed to find an X Factor. I thought if I was going to compete in this ruthless corporate world, I needed something bigger, something stronger, something to get me through. But when I sat down to write my mission statement, I, I had no idea how to run a business. So I thought I'm going to run my business the way I live my life. So my business motto in my mission statement is be a good bloke. I thought that was going to be a waste of time and I, quite, I still quite often think that's just useless. Like in, in, a, in a corporate world, be a good bloke isn't really going to get you far. One of the things I do, one of the habits I have in my business is I have my automated signature in emails that says this email is from Barnaby Howarth. So when I'm sending an email to someone that I have a relationship or I'm trying to build a relationship with, I'll go into my email and I'll manually delete my surname. So it's just from Barnaby. Every time I do it, I think this is just such a, such a complete waste of time. It's so inefficient. But I just kept on plugging away and, and doing things like that. I ring clients and speak to them individually rather than just email if I can. I had a speakers manager for a little while, not long ago, and she said, okay, sit, sit down and read me your speech or tell me the thrust of your speech. And I said, yep, no problem. My speech in a sentence is that I try and tell people to work as hard as they can and be proud of themselves. And she just looked at me and said, nah, it's not going to work. I said, what do you, what do you mean? That's, that's what I do. Like, that's, I'm not making it up. That's how I live my life. She said, well, you're competing against people that say bounce forward and get up and be the best and if you want to be the best, eat more breakfast and get up earlier and work harder. And, and I said, all right, cool. Well, that's, that's not me though. So I'm going to have to agree to disagree and we amicably parted ways and I just kept on going with my work as hard as you can, be proud of yourself motto. And I've, I've had a lot of times where I've doubted that it was going to work. I really didn't think it was enough. And I thought it was going to lead me to financial ruin. But I went back to my old footy coach's advice. I thought, I'll just focus on my game plan and the result will take care of itself, whatever that may be. That's awesome. It sounds like uh, being a good bloke is working out for you. Um, So tell me, what made you want to start hosting an interview show, this show, Everyday Greatness? I actually had no desire to host an interview show. I'd never even thought of it. But after I'd hosted Give It A Crack that night for the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse fundraiser, this bloke here, Dion from Look Studio Australia, came over and asked if I'd like to host an interview show. I said, oh, maybe. What's it about? And he said, it's entirely up to you. You do all the creative, get the guests and locations, I'll do all the filming and streaming work. So I went away and thought about it and I thought, I'd like to create a show that highlights the greatness that everyday people have inside them. I feel like there's this big, there's this big uh, wall between the great people in society and the regular everyday people. And the everyday people think, well, I don't have whatever the great people have. But you speak to these great people and they're just everyday people that do the small things really well. So everybody on earth has got it. They just need to realise it and be more disciplined to stay and keep doing those small things. Because who we all are is the accumulation of all of the small things we do in life. So true. And on everyday greatness, so I want to know your secrets. You've interviewed an Australian of the Year, three AFL Hall of Fame inductees, 
two AFL CEOs and the managing director of a large Australian building logistics company, an Order of Australia medalist, a bodybuilder, two newsreaders and a cameraman and a comedian. So what's your secret to getting them to say yes? How do you get them over the line to be interviewed? My secret is exactly the same as I use in my business and my life. I ask them nicely. I played one season of AFL with Adam Goods, for example, and he it was his first year in the AFL, so he was a kid, and he went on to win two Brownlow medals, two premierships, and his Australian of the Year award. And I, at the end of... After Dion had asked me if I wanted to host an interview show, I thought... That Adam Goods bloke that I used to play footy with, he'd be a good, he'd be a good guest. So I just sent him an email, said, Goodsy, what do you reckon? Would you come on the show? He just clicked his fingers and said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. So he came on with Michael O'Loughlin, two of the greatest Indigenous AFL players of all time. And I just, I didn't see it as I was interviewing two AFL Hall of Famers. I just saw it as I was interviewing two old footy teammates. So yeah, I, I don't give a lot of thought into who I ask. I just, think if they're nice people, they're good people, I'll ask them if they come on. If they say no, I'll just shrug my shoulders and go and ask someone else. You have a really nice way of um, connecting with people and I think that makes you very special. Um, I have to ask, are you disappointed that you ever, uh, or that you never made it as a, as you would say, a corporate high flyer? There have been times, but no, essentially. I find when I started this business on those sort of Mickey Mouse principles, running something on purely emotional, altruistic um, desires, I often thought it's probably going to be a waste of time and I probably won't be a corporate high flyer. But I thought, I don't know anything different. I'm not going to be one of those people that goes out there and tries to pretend to be someone they're not. I just want to be the person I am and that's exactly what I am in this business. I don't pretend to be something I'm not, I just get out there and do my thing and if people like it, cool. If they don't, then it's unlucky. But no, I've never, I've never regretted not being a high flyer. Too much stress. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, so do you think this business model um, would work for everybody? Highly unlikely. I'd, I would love to say yes and we should all be good people and all go and hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but I don't think that's the way the world works. There's this has worked beautifully for me, but I think I I actually interviewed Tom Harley recently, the CEO of the Swans, and he made the point that I asked him about his X Factor, being a successful person, and he said, I don't have one. I, I think people that say they're successful without admitting that they've had a fair bit of luck are just kidding themselves, and I think that's where I am. I've been really lucky that I've had good people around me I've had a supportive family, I've married two incredible women, I have an incredible stepdaughter, my extended family are incredible, the friends I have around me have just made my life, has made a business that's run on such feel-good principles possible. So no, I don't think it could work for everybody, it's certainly sure as hell working for me. It's a bit of a combination of not being a dickhead and a good dose of luck as well. It's very well put. <laughs> I do think that you have something something to do with that. But 
I'm going to ask our last question for today. Um, where did you find the resilience you needed to get through these challenges? You've already led an unbelievable life and you've had uh, more, more, people would say, bad luck than anyone deserves. So how do you find the way to get through that? So this podcast is about real life resilience, which says that everybody on earth is made up of individual community and family resilience. I think that's all there is in life. I haven't found some magical box of resilience in an enchanted forest after slaying a fire-breathing dragon. I just kept on doing what I could possibly do each day and just didn't stop. I knew that I had to improve my balance on my left foot, so I just stood on one leg. Like all the, And where I am today is the accumulation of all those small things. I don't think any of us have any superpower resilience like you've been through enough stuff yourself and I know that who you are and where you are now is just a result of the accumulation of all the small good things. So I don't think I've found any magical resilience. I've got exactly the same as what everyone else has inside them. But I just know that it's there and I keep using it and drawing on it. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it is all of those tiny little things step by step every day, right? Exactly right. Okay, Barnaby. Well, I'm going to thank you for being a part of your own podcast, Everyday Greatness. It's been beautiful interviewing you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Kate. That was really strange being thanked to be on (laughs) your own show. But thank you, Kate, for interviewing me today. Thank you to our major sponsor, the ARA Group. Actually, before I finish, I just want to say one more thing. You were talking about getting major sponsorship for this show two years in a row. So because of that, I was lucky enough that I could donate major sponsorship to the ARA group this year. And that is something that, from a business financial sense, is just dumb, just flat out stupid. But I have been so well looked after by ARA group that when it came, when the opportunity came, where Dion and I put this show together, the podcast together, as you said, on the smell of an oily rag... So we had the chance. We didn't have to ask ARA Group for money. So I felt really blessed to be able to offer them the major sponsorship. And they said, yes, we'd love to accept. So I would like to thank ARA Group for their major sponsorship again. Thanks to Dion at Look Studio Australia for reporting our podcast. And thank you all for listening to the podcast. I hope that when you put your devices down in a little bit, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe Bag of Donuts. I hope you can join us next week where I'll be speaking to Life Skills Coordinator Marcel Haddon. We'll be talking about how a lot of people take things for granted but those things they take for granted are actually monumental gold mines in other people's eyes. So I hope you can join us for that chat. But Thank you again and thank you again, Kate, for interviewing. Thanks, Barnaby. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Greatness. Proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group. If you'd like to stay up to date, check out our pages on Facebook and Instagram or to listen to more episodes, go to everydaygreatness.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts.